Would you like an opinion on a financial matter you're dealing with? Whether it's about retirement, investments, taxes, or 401ks, Scott Hansen and Pat McLean would like to help you by answering your call to join Allworth's Money Matters. Call now at 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-99-WORTH. Welcome to Allworth's Money Matters. I'm Scott Hansen. I'm Pat McLean. Thanks for joining us. We're glad to be with you uh, as we talk about financial matters. Myself and my co-host here, we're both financial advisors, and um, we enjoy enjoy doing this podcast, taking some calls, talking about financial matters, what's going on in the, the world. I was thinking about it um, this week. I was trying to remember uh, how long we've been doing this. So I know that we had started- 28 years. 28 years, and- I, I and for the vast majority of it was pre-podcast, uh, so radio and a little background on how we got started in this. So uh, Pat and I've been financial advisors since nine. You were, I think, eighty nine entered the business. I entered nineteen ninety. We were with a different company for a couple of years. We started Hanson McLean, which we re- changed the name to Allworth in nineteen ninety three as advisors. And um, so when you're when you start a new firm with no clients, <laughs> none. I mean, our whole our whole objective was let's create a, a financial planning focused advisory firm, not investment sales, because particularly back then it was loaded mutual funds and all that kind of garbage. A shares, B shares. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we said let's. We had a different vision of what what could what could become. And back the independent registered investment advisor model was very rare back then. But that's what we not created. anymore. Not anymore. But and so. Um, we were at some conference and there was this guy who had created a, a huge business and he was only a couple of years older than us. And we're like, man, how do we, f- let's figure out what that guy's doing. So we went, remember, Pat, we yes. went and visited this guy in Omaha, Nebraska, and he had a radio program, a weekly radio program. And so <laughs> Pat and I thought that might be a good way to, for us to, to drum up some long-term clients, right? Like we're on the radio long enough. And so I remember we got back to Sacramento and Pat got on the phone, started cold calling the program managers at the different radio stations and talked his way in. I, uh, yeah. Uh, 28 years ago. 28 years and ago. And we, we, we had clients then. And, you know, it's unfortunate. Uh, one of my long-term clients um, passed away. But, I mean, the, I have a... Only one? Lots of them. This week. Okay. Uh, I have yeah. a conversation with his uh, widow. Yeah. I, I talked to her last week and said, you know, Let's let's give it. I talked to her the day after he died. Let's give it some time, uh, and now we'll circle back. and And one of the things that we counsel is there are no reasons to make immediate decisions regarding your finances in the midst of something like that. In the midst of something like this, um, it's best to put it off for three months, six months, even a Any year. Any major decisions. Any major decisions. So home, yeah. how to invest. Uh, all particularly those on the investment stuff because people can sell. I've seen it happen. Oh yeah, lots of times, lots and lots of times. So anyway, we got a great program lined up for you today. So we're glad you're with us. Um, we'll take some calls, talk about some things in the market, but we're going to start with uh, Andy Stout, uh, our chief investment officer at Allworth, just talking about with with the markets and what's going on. So Andy, thanks for taking some time. Thank you. So just before the, we started recording, Pat had said to me. Um, all the losses we had in the month of October were made up in the f- first. Yeah, the like the first five days in November. <laughs> yeah, if you look at just the returns for the the third quarter, the fourth quarter, it's it's positive now after a pretty brutal uh, month of October. I mean, just through like last Friday, the S and P five hundred is now up almost two percent for the quarter. So we did erase those. Yeah. Well, what 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 happened there? Because you certainly wouldn't think this was going on. This could happen with the global turmoil, right? <laughs> There's clearly some some major issues that are going on around the globe, and yet uh, we saw long-term interest rates drop like a rock uh, right. at the same time that the stock markets rallied. So the both the bond market rallied and the stock market rallied, both really strong performance for a, a week or two. But what was the catalyst for all that? Well, the catalyst was the Fed, but I first. Scott, I want to address what you just said right there, all the stuff going on in the world. There's always things going on in the world. You could look back at the history of anything, and you might just think, well, why should I ever leave my house because the world's going to come to an end? But you know what? 
you know, we always seem to overcome those. The economy and markets are, are the same. So there's always that wall of worry that we are able to overcome. Now, in terms of last week and what's been going on and the uh, really to turn the market around, well, it comes down to the Federal Reserve. That's our nation's central bank, by the way. They're responsible for controlling short-term interest rates. And during the month of October, markets are really worried about what the Fed was going to do and how much longer they're going to keep interest rates high, when they might hike again even. And then you had the Fed meet on November 1st, and they essentially telegraphed that we're probably done. And when we look at what we said in the past as far as future rate hikes, that's kind of outdated. We're more concerned now about market interest rates like the 10-year Treasury bond and it being too high and helping the Fed do some of its work by helping to bring down inflation. So we're, they're probably on pause. And I think also, didn't something happen with the um, the Treasury, Depart- Department of Treasury, and how they're going to be financing the longer-term debt and signaling something there as well? Or am I confused? <laughs> well, the, the Treasury does regular uh, bond auctions, and uh, the, one of their most recent ones, uh, they did state that they would probably need to sell fewer bonds than what was anticipated. And there's been some pretty decent demand for the bond auctions as well. So there was some concern with the rising deficits that we would have to issue more and more and more and more and more debt. And it would become more expensive because there would be fewer buyers. Well, the, the supply came down just a tad and the demand has stayed strong. So that's been key there as well. And so when we talk about supply and demand and the bond market with new issues. Do high quality corporates uh, uh, compete with the U.S. government bond in terms of I, I, my? There's less issuance of high quality corporates, which would actually drive more investors to U.S. government. Is that true? Yes, uh, U.S. government. That's obviously still considered the safest safe haven out there. And as far as like the number of triple A rated companies, I mean, I, I think it's, it's around five or so. So it's a pretty small supply. Yeah. And they've all, they've issued long-term debt a couple of years ago. Yes. Right? Yes. So they're not in the marketplace anymore. Oh right. yeah. They're, they're not doing anything right now. There's really no benefit. If you were able to issue debt two years ago and longer term debt, which a lot of them did, I mean, they're, they're pretty much set for a while in terms of having to uh, raise more funds. Yeah, so to your point, Pat, there's not that, there's not a much supply on the corporate side. That's that's right. Which Which further pushes the demand. Yeah, and I just remember when Microsoft was issuing uh, debt. Almost the same interest rate. It was almost the same interest (laughs) rate as the treasuries. (laughs) And I thought, well, this is an interesting, uh, and that was two, two and a half years ago. I thought, this is interesting. They're like four or five basis points uh, higher yield than treasuries. I thought, Wow, um, that is an interesting uh, paradigm. And, and Andy, yeah. we also saw that it, it appears that the the economy is growing much faster than anyone anticipated. So we've got that at the same time. Long term interest rates are dropping. Yeah, the economy soared four point nine percent in the third quarter, and it was really across the board pretty strong numbers. Consumer spending was the driver again. Uh, it was responsible for uh, 2.7 of the 4.9 percentage points. Uh, and that was really the, the biggest driver. Now, the thing is, that growth rate, that's not sustainable at all. I mean, consumer spending was lifted by these one-time events like the Taylor Swift and Beyonce concerts. I know it sounds silly to say, but that actually moved the needle when it comes to GDP. That's uh, crazy. Well, when you talk about how those concerts added about eight and a half billion of uh, value to the economy, it's uh, it's a bit mind-boggling uh, to think about it just from uh, Beyonce and Taylor Swift there. But here here's the thing. That's not going to be able to continue because the excess savings or the savings that people built during the pandemic when mm. the federal government had all their stimulus programs – those have been wiped out according to the San Francisco Fed. So people don't have that excess savings yeah, it's anymore. The, it's, it's not only a stimulus, but then for yet a period of time, there was, there was no entertainment. I mean, you think about... That's another great point. Right? Dining and entertainment for a lot of families, that's a, a pretty big chunk of their budget. Particularly if you oh, think I mean, a, like a middle class or higher. $2,000 to get a ticket to the Taylor wow, Swift concert. Ridiculous. 
but then you also look at that excess savings is gone. Savings rates are back down to you know lowerish levels around you know three and a half percent. And then you look at the fact that personal spending has eclipsed personal income for the past four straight months. That's not sustainable. You can't oh. keep spending more than you make unless you start to borrow more. And you look at where interest rates are, you look at where credit card debt rates are, uh, home equity lines of credit, mortgage rate. I mean, it's super expensive, obviously, right now where interest rates are, and that's going to make it more challenging for consumers to keep spending at this clip. They might be able to keep it up for another quarter or so, especially the holiday season. But I, I'm a little cautious on the consumer's health in the longer run for those reasons. And, and talk a little bit about unemployment uh, and and what the job market looks like right now. Well, the job market is not weak yet, but there are some real cracks forming. So we did get the unemployment rate update last week, and it increased from 3.8% to 3.9%. That's still a low number. That's why I'm saying it's not weak. But if you look at the trend, now back in April, it was at 3.4%. So it's definitely been moving higher. And when you think about why that's going on, and just the backdrop, you start to think about, well, the interest rates are starting to weigh on the economy. So employers are a little bit uh, you know, hesitant to keep adding jobs. Uh, so when you look at it from that perspective, you know, there's a little bit of concern. Now, the bigger thing that I'm watching on the labor market front, though, is continuing jobless claims. So jobless claims are people filing for unemployment benefits. There's initial, which is your first-time filers, and then, then there's continuing, which is ongoing. The initial jobless claims or those first-time filers, they're pretty low. I mean, that suggests employers aren't laying people off as quickly as one might suggest given where interest rates are now. And they're in like the low 200,000s. But the continuing claims, that's risen pretty rapidly, really, in just the past two months from around 1.6 uh, million to a little over 1.8 million. And that's that's a relatively rapid rise when you look at the history of that data series, which suggests that the people who have lost their job are having a harder time mm. finding work once they have been laid off. Uh, now, the last crack I will mention uh, is that the quits rate is at 2.3%, which is a low number. During the uh, pandemic and we were reopening, it was a much, much higher number. Uh, what this indicates is that workers don't believe they're going to be able to find a better paying job if they just outright quit their job. So even the workers and employees are a little bit more cautious as well. Now, that's not to say we're going to have a recession tomorrow or anything like that. I mean, economists have been calling for a recession really for the past <laughs> two years, and yeah. the uh, the economy has proved to be more resilient than not. So it's obviously uh, a reason to you know focus on the long run and not make any rash decisions. So and wage growth. Yeah, wage growth. Uh, you know, that's been trending down as well. When you look at just inflation data in general, there's lots of different metrics. But for wage growth, what we look at is average hourly earnings. And back at the beginning of this year, it was right around five uh, percent almost. Uh, on a year-over-year -year basis, and that's dropped down to 4.1%. So it's been uh, moving in the right direction, the right direction at least from the Federal Reserve's perspective because they want inflation lower. Obviously, if you're a worker, you might want that to be a, a little bit higher <laughs> as far as uh, you might be concerned, uh, but it's, it's trending down. And given where we're at right now, I would expect that trend to continue. Uh, now, will we get to the Fed's preferred 2% inflation target? And they look at a different inflation metric, uh, but it's still not its not close to that 2% level. And they have some work to do in terms of being able to be patient, because I don't think the Fed needs to do anything in terms of raising rates anymore, but they need to let their prior rate hikes do some of the work for it because they are slowing down the economy. And I want to be too surprised if we do get some rate cuts next year, but that could still not really have an impact on uh, causing inflation to reverse course or anything like that. Got it. So, so it just it's taking time to work. It's uh, these uh, increases take a time to work through the economy. So, before we go, um, give us a little commentary on what's going on in China. The 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 bubble has finally burst on the real estate there, which just it, it's mind boggling to me that it's taken so long. 
Um, but I guess that's what happens when you have state-controlled companies. This Evergrande, and I think the other one was Living Gardens, which is a third owned by the U.S. Uh, by the Chinese government. Is that going to uh, how's that going to affect the global economy, or will it? Well, China is obviously a big player in the global economy, and their markets have struggled more than other areas. I mean, even just like the last year, China. That's going to be really interesting to watch China the next couple of years. Oh yeah, especially uh, their their belt and uh, what is it, road and belt? Yeah, all of it. Um, in in third world yeah. countries. Yeah, like if you just look at the returns in 2022 and 2021, Chinese stocks fell 21%, 22% in each year. So that was obviously a foreshadowing because the market moves before the broad economy of what's going on there. And even year to date, those uh, stocks are down about 9%. So from a from a big picture perspective, they are struggling. They're the property market. I don't know if it's fully busted or anything like that, but the government's going to want to, you know, do more stepping in, try to patch things up. You know, the issue is you can only band-aid so much, and it just seems like you have people digging holes and other people filling those holes back in to try to grow their economy, and that's what you get in that type of uh, communist society. That's not, it, it, you're quite serious about that. I mean, they're trying to get young people because there's no jobs from in the cities to go back to the farms. And... Yes, and then uh, have more kids. <laughs> oh my God. Anyway. So uh, WeWork uh, finally filed for bankruptcy. Uh, finally, what and if you've been a longtime listener of this program, uh, when we were was worth forty seven billion, which was nothing peak. but a but nothing but a, a sublease uh, real estate deal. Very similar to companies like Regis that have been doing it for years and years yeah. and years. Long-term real estate lease with a short-term um, tenant. tenant. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So um, – like a disaster. Just a personal – how did you feel watching that thing blow up? <laughs> well, we work didn't work, right? <laughs> so when you think about it uh, in terms of watching it blow up, I mean, I don't really get any you know joy out of it, but I would say – I was not surprised. It's just, it's not something that's sustainable at the levels where they were trying to uh, build it out. The strategy uh, in terms of, you know, what they were doing similar to Regis, it's a bit, uh, especially in today's post COVID world, you know, it didn't make sense. I wasn't too surprised that, you know, they did file for bankruptcy. I mean, they were one of the more successful IPOs out there in, in quite a long time. So it was a startup company that really struggled uh, during the reopening. Yeah, it was it, your classic. Anyway, it, it, you know what? It, when I see that, and I see the Sam Bankman-Fried, same kind of stuff. It, it's it just this, it just reminds me personally that the fad things are exactly that, and you get these very eccentric leaders that with a strange charisma about them, and and they attract. It's like the most educated people. Right, the, the most experienced investors somehow get mesmerized by the individual and build their models based upon. They would never build those financial models on anybody else, but somehow they'd think, "Well, I'm 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 quite happy that I'm actually attracted to normal people and I'm not mesmerized by eccentrics, yeah. eccentric <laughs> individuals." So, Andy, is there uh, is there anything that individual investors should be doing with their portfolios right now as a result of what's happened in the last? few weeks? You've heard it before, and I'm sure people get tired of hearing it, but staying the course, you know, still does make sense because when you do make emotional decisions, they're usually wrong decisions because what people are usually influenced by is what they see because we're not rational. We're not rational beings, right? We're irrational. And what you typically see is that news is best at tops and, and worst at bottoms, but that's exactly when you want to be investing is when news looks the worst. It's really hard to do that. So most people are better off instead of trying to time things because timing backfires all the time, uh, not every time, but all the time, uh, is really just focusing on the long run. I mean, I, I mentioned this earlier. Economists have been predicting a recession for basically the past year, so it hasn't happened. The markets uh, have been relatively resilient. So if you would have been based on those forecasts you would have definitely uh, hurt yourself financially. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Andy. As always, uh, thanks for being part of the All Worth team. Yep. 
Andy Stouter, Chief Investment and, Officer. And one of the most productive people I have ever met in terms of getting stuff done. It's just crazy. <laughs> so we need to clone Andy Stout. I know. Do you have any All, relatives? He's always cool, always, you know. Yeah. I've never seen you flustered. Maybe I can see it in your eyes a couple times, but you don't, <laughs> you never try to show it. And I don't know what happened to Andy. Yeah, we, we got go. tired of it. Anyway. Us. He just doesn't like to hear people say nice things about yeah. him. Yeah, <laughs> he hung up on us. Anyway, glad to have him on the program. So it's yeah. um, it's it's the longer I'm in this business and that in the watching the financial markets, it's like kind of the, the well, like follow, trying to follow the economy and make in long-term investment choices that's fraught with peril because you will react emotionally and you'll make poor decisions studies have shown it time and time again again and again and again all right let's uh take some calls if you want to be a caller on our program have a financial question we would love to schedule time to talk with you 833-99-WORTH is the number 833-99-WORTH or you can send us an email at questions at moneymatters.com questions at moneymatters.com we are in Georgia talking to Joseph. Joseph, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Well, hey, how y'all doing today? <laughs> We're doing good. How you doing, Joseph? I'm fine. I've got a quick question I'd like some help with. Uh, based on the economy, and I've heard what you've been talking about, uh, my wife and I have some property in two houses. Uh, it's all in a adjoining section. Been valued at a sizable amount. We've been thinking about uh, instead of waiting and selling and moving, is doing a reverse mortgage. And you, I haven't been able to find anybody to give me any insight into the ups and downs of a reverse mortgage. Well, you may have come to the right place. So uh, just <laughs> for a point of disclosure, uh, Scott Hansen and I, while we were running Hansen McLean slash Allworth, uh, as a side gig, um, we started a reverse mortgage company and sold it to Genworth. Uh, we started from scratch, and we sold it, what, three or three or four years later. I think we were the third largest in the country at that point in time, had something over 200 employees. And when we created it, it was not really so much for our client base as much as it was for a lot of Americans that don't have a lot of our, uh, other options. And the typical person who would take a reverse mortgage is, would be as a widow um, in their late 70s, early 80s, don't want to leave their house, don't want to leave their community, and don't have a lot of other options. And we started, the, quite frankly, we started the reverse mortgage company uh, because of this radio show, at the time radio show. Yeah. People were calling asking questions about reverse mortgages. We did some research and realized that there wasn't a lot of financial planning around the reverse mortgage. If, if, if you called a reverse mortgage company at that time, they would just tell you reverse mortgage is the right thing for you. And we wanted to come at it differently, looking at it as a tool for specific people. So that's our background in reverse mortgages. Tell us about your situation. Do you need income? Well, I do. And I have some debt that I'd like to get canceled. I'd like to have a little bit of cash in reserve uh, just for an emergency and maybe some expendable income that would free up. Uh, of course, I get Social Security. My wife does. I get a, a pension from the Postal Service okay, before so I retired. What are those numbers? Uh, how much I'm getting? Yes. Okay. Uh, Twelve. About between the two, uh, for me, it's about uh, twenty-one, twenty, twenty-two hundred dollars. Is that gross uh, or net of tax? Well, that's what I put in the bank. Okay. And how much is your wife receiving? Uh, just a little bit less than that. She's probably around eighteen fifty. And that's and is that your number? What are you getting in pension? That was inclusive. That's, that's inclusive. That's, that's postal. everything okay. that oh, comes in it. combined. Okay, so four thousand dollars a month. Do you have any money in the bank or investments or IRAs or anything like that? I don't have any uh, any of that. I got a little in the bank, but I don't have any kind of IRAs or anything. And how much debt do you have? Uh, about a hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Is that home equity debt or? That, well, I have a small on the house is about six sixty five thousand. Then I've got a truck and a camper that I I'm paying on. How old are you? 
I'm 68. How's your health? Uh, I do what I want to. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think I'm in good health. Is your wife of similar age? No, she's uh, she's a year younger than me. Okay. And you you say it's a property and two houses, or is it one property right. that has two houses it, on it? Well, it's it's one property with two houses. I've got like 14 acres of land with uh, and there's there's two houses on it. Uh, just when I took that money out recently, or when I say recently, in last year sometime, I, if the appraisal was three hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars, and you owe sixty-five, and you rent one of the houses out, we do. And what do you receive for rent on that? It's like, well, it, it I can't go into the details okay, of why, fine. but this lady needs help. This young lady needs help, and so she's paying like four hundred and fifty dollars a month rent. All right, so your income is is um, about fifty five thousand dollars a year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and what would you if you didn't do a reverse mortgage? Uh, what would you do? I would just keep doing what I'm doing, which means I would have by the time I pay the bills I have, uh, it would be a little bit leftovers all. Yeah. The the, uh, my, the the problem is that $325,000 at the current interest rates, you're not going to be able to take $150,000 out of no. on a reverse mortgage at your and age. Particularly because there's, there's two homes, so it's really looking at what's one home worth. That's right. Okay. That's okay. Right. Uh, so the reverse mortgage, uh, uh, you could, you know, it's easy enough to call one of these people, but they're going to come out there and they're going to be confused by the structure of the fact that there's two homes. How old are the homes? Well, one is. Uh... Gosh, it's probably in the 40s was built. Uh, the one that my wife and I live in, we just built it about 12 years ago. So the the one that was built in the 40s, they wouldn't put any value on it whatsoever. Okay. Um, um, okay. And, and you're not going to get to where you want to be. Uh, I mean, you might be able to take a hundred or $125,000 reverse mortgage, which could pay off that home equity loan. You, you say you took 65 grand out of your house a year ago. Yeah. What was that? Yeah. What were those dollars used for? Well, my wife had to have a, a kidney removal, mm-hmm. and with the insurance paying the way it did, I paid off those bills, and I did some a little, you know, a little improvement work around both of them because I needed to do some things to the older house before. And is that is that on a fixed rate mortgage or is that just a? Um, yeah, just... It, it's on a fixed. And how much are your payments on that? Five hundred dollars a month. And what are your payments on the the other eighty five thousand dollars in debt? Uh, about twelve. Yeah. Almost thirteen hundred dollars a month. So you could look at it, and you do not want to leave. I mean, the if property. you if you were ten years older, it would be. We would say absolutely makes a ton of sense. I, I think okay. our concern is that there's a good chance you're going to live in both. You live into your eighties. You're already. You, you take a couple that's 65 years old today, there's a greater than 50% chance that one of them is going to be into their 90s. So okay. our concern is not this year or next year or the year after. It's 10 years from now, 15 years from now. Can you subdivide this property? Uh, yeah, I could, maybe. I mean, I think I could, yeah. And what would the what would the value of that – let's say you, you, you took the property, split it in half, and sold the house – the other house on that property, I don't know what the geography looks like. What would that value of seven acres of that property with that house on it be? Well, based on what they got valued, you know, where I pay taxes, I, I mean, it's probably in the, would be in the $150,000. Right? All right. So here's how I would look at it. If you were my older brother, I would say, let's, it's got, you, you, I might be making this more complicated, but I'd say, let's see if we could subdivide this property. Um, well, here's your, I mean, the and then do a reverse mortgage. And, and you might be think later and you might be thinking, well, I don't want to subdivide the. So, I mean, here's the reality. Um, the truck and, and camper is not a cheap hobby for you. Right. And I told, look, That's I told, right. I totally get it. Why you want to do this. And you might not even have enough money to go out and enjoy the truck and camper. Right. Um, so, and you might say, well, I don't want to subdivide my property. I like having the 14 acres, but you're going to have a, a tough time having both the 14 acres and the truck and camper. So you might say, 
I'm going to get rid of the truck and camper so I can keep the 14 acres. Or you might say, you know, I'm going to go ahead and subdivide, sell a piece of the land, use that so I can have better quality of life the next the, decade or so. So if, if, uh, so when, when I look at this and I'd say, what's the first tact I would take is see if I could subdivide that property and how, if you subdivided the property, would the older house be on the other property? Are they close to each yeah. other? They, it would be on they're, the other they're property. Close. They're close, but they're not. I mean, it, it'd be fine. I think. Okay. So if you could subdivide that property, make enough money to actually pay off that consumer debt or the truck and trailer, the 85,000 uh-huh. and put a little bit of money in the bank. If you think you could get a hundred or $150,000 for it, you're home free. And not only that, not only that, it, it, it still allows you to go to a reverse mortgage in eight, 10, 12 years from now. That's right. Okay. Right. And that's, that's, that's how would I would, time. that's how I would approach it. Um, okay. but I wouldn't be t- looking at a reverse mortgage. Now I'd be, if you're sitting in my office, I'd say, look, this is one direction to go subdivide property, do this, this, if you can't subdivide the property, then you have the other choice, which is do we downsize, sell the property free and clear downsize into something less expensive. Um, and pay off that debt that way and actually have more spendable income. Okay. Okay. That's option two, but yeah. option one is the one I'd go for first. And then okay. option three would be the, I wouldn't use a reverse mortgage at this option. Three would be, stage. you know, the reverse mortgage. And I would not, that would, that wouldn't be, like I said, it would be option three. If, if that. Okay. All right. I Wish you well, I, Joseph. I hope, I hope that helped. Hey, it, well, thank y'all because I, I I get a better understanding now than just talking to somebody on the phone. Or well, they're going to want to sell you because they make cover, about they what make to do. they make yeah, yeah they they make money when they just sell reverse mortgages. Yes, they don't. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't have a dog in this fight. Yeah, right. And I I I got a better understanding of what I need to do, and I I'm probably going to pursue the uh, dividing it up. That's what I would. Things. That is what I would look at because yeah. that's going to afford okay. you the, the the flexibility to enjoy your truck and camper, and you don't have to take care of seven acres, so it'll be someone else's problem. Yeah. So anyway, I appreciate the I appreciate the call. Justin. If you wanted to punish me, so, you'd put me on a on a, a piece of property with fourteen acres. That would be punishment to me. Wait, what do you mean? Just the idea of having fourteen acres of oh. things to. So trees blow I, down and I went as a, in fifth and sixth grade, I lived with my mom and stepdad. My parents, I was one of those fortunate ones with four parents. Let's just put it that way. So, <laughs> um, uh, so I, 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 I left my dad where my dad was, was just a basic house. My dad didn't like doing any work around the house at all. It was like Saturday sitting around watching sports and <laughs> that was like, really sounds like your dad. live and let live uh, kind of guy. <laughs> And then my, my stepfather is very much like, hey, we work. Like, <laughs> like Saturday morning. They were migrant workers from Oklahoma that went out west, right, when he was a little kid. So we had, yeah, 11 acres. And you get up before school, collect the eggs from the chickens. Uh, in the afternoons, it was chores. And Saturday was a work day. When do you mill Sunday, the when do you mill mill the wheat, Scott? We didn't mill wheat, <laughs> but uh, but as a young man, uh, actually, I really appreciate the experience because I learned how to work hard. But it also taught me that I do not want to live on a little farm at thing because that was well. Not coming fine. into the Christmas seasons, I have to ask this question since you were fortunate enough to have four um, parents, groups of parents. Uh, have you seen the movie Four Christmases? No, I have not. You have not. No, I just need, need to watch it. You need to watch it. It has become a staple in the McLean household every Christmas. Yeah, dysfunctional families. Not to say that mine was dysfunctional. <laughs> well, I'm sure they were completely <laughs> like every other family in America, completely functional. <laughs> like every I other. guess what is the definition of functional? <laughs> right? <laughs> if that's the norm, maybe it is functional. <laughs> what, what, everything. <laughs> What's your base for comparison? But you should watch Four Christmas. So, hey, before we go to the next call, on reverse mortgages, here I'm going to give you two examples of how they shouldn't be used and ways that they can be brilliantly used based on people that I've worked with over the last number of years. Even in today's interest rate environment? Yes. Okay. Even in today. So the worst case scenario I saw was a couple, he had just turned 62. You have to be 62 or older to get the reverse mortgage. She was like, I don't know, 56. And they took her name, took her name off the title. No. Because she wasn't 62. So they can get the reverse mortgage. 
so they can spend so they can go on cruises and travel more. And you counseled against this. She had actually retired a few years before her pension would have vested because she was just got was working too hard, got tired of work. Well, uh, and by the way, when you were doing this, you were doing this as the as a financial advisor. You've never sold reverse mortgages. We just owned the company. That's correct. We didn't. We didn't have. I highly licenses. advised against doing this. We didn't. Scott and I both didn't have licenses. No, no, no. To no we sell weren't. We weren't mortgage. doing reverse. We just owned the company. So that's the worst scenario. Yeah, that was. And a I have no idea where they're. I'm sure they're totally broke. I mean, terrible scenario because you spend. The reverse mortgage in the situation like that, it should be your last trip to the well. It is the last trip to the okay. well. <laughs> it is the last trip to the well. And if you're older, and so that's the worst situation. One of the best I've seen, uh, somebody uh, who had plenty of assets, over a million bucks in his retirement account. He was widowed. His um, child, son or daughter, I forget, had uh, had moved lived, moved maybe 150 miles from where he was. He wanted to go live close to his grandkids, but the homes there were much more expensive. So I think he lived in central California and was going to go near the coast somewhere. So it was going to be very expensive. And we're trying to figure out how to, how to make it work. And he didn't want to really, he didn't want to take money out of his retirement account because the tax implications. And so he, he sold his home, used the proceeds as a down payment and used a reverse mortgage as the, uh, to, as as the mortgage is the it. mortgage, so so he, bought, he was able to buy a house that house. was probably twice as expensive exactly as right. that. And that was the perfect way to use and it. And he wasn't worried about leaving anything to the kids. Well, no, he had his whole retirement account. Yeah, and had he taken the money out of the retirement, and it worked out great because the property value increased much faster than the interest on that reverse mortgage. But he, had he taken the money out of the retirement account, he would have cut off his income, and it would have been a taxable event all in one year. That's exactly right. And then, you know, I don't forget what the house was worth, but um, it was, that's when it could be used perfectly. Yeah. Or you're widowed or you're, you're, you're late seventies, early eighties, and you just like a little extra cash. Yeah, don't, don't, don't do it to, to buy a new motorhome. No, that's uh or would take your spouse off title cause they're not 62. So you oh. can do some cruises around the, around the world. So. Let's go to Pennsylvania, talk with Chase. Chase, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. How you guys doing today? Uh, thanks good. for having me. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to, it's kind of a mouthful, but um, I'll, I'll give it to you guys as I can. All righty. So um, my wife and I currently live in a 2,000-square-foot townhome with our two children, um, and we currently have one on the way. Um, Congratulations. So we begin the Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so we be, begin the talks of um, sort of, you know, getting a little more space okay. um, for our growing family. Yeah. And, um, you know, the home that we currently live in now was purchased pretty much in, um, you know, a time where interest rates we, were low. Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, the rate we currently have now is 2.65. Wow. Um, there is a mortgage insurance on it, though, with about. 160 to 165 dollars a month, um, but given a low interest rate, it, it's still in a great place. And what's that value? What's the, the value of the home? The value of the home right now is currently about 365 k. And what do you owe on it? 215. And why is there uh, still mortgage insurance on it? PMI. So, so I took out FHA um, originally in. For FHA, it stays on through the life of the loan. Oh, there's um, no way to get rid of it? Yeah. yeah. Okay, but yeah. even if you calculate, so it moves yeah, the rate so, from 2.65 uh, to 2.9. Point yes, yeah, nine. Nine. So it's <laughs> still I mean, you can run the number, yeah. And how old are you? I'm 36. And uh, how old is your spouse? Uh, 31. And uh, what is your income? Uh, combined, it'll be around uh, between 250 to 300K, depending on... Um, some bonuses and things okay. like that, and um, a little more if you include the rental income. So what? Wait, wait, wait what, what, rental? About, what, what rental income? <laughs> oh, <sorry>. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I feel like I'm peeling an onion here. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. So we, we do have, we other do than have the million dollar inheritance, <laughs> no inheritance, but we do have some rental income. Um, we have like uh, a, a beach home that we rent out um, throughout the year, and then there's another property as well that, that generates income. So are you around, sure you're just 36? <laughs> I'm, I'm positive. Just 36. And just what's, 36. What, okay. So what's the beach home worth? The beach home is probably around, uh, 
around four hundred thousand. It's a condo, but what do you owe on um, that? Probably one forty ish. What's the interest rate? Low, three point five. Okay, right. Yeah, we got we got that maybe a year after. And what's the what's the other? Wait, wait, one second, Scott. Before we move to the other one, cash flow positive, negative, break even. Cash flow very positive. Um, The only thing I would say is, you know, depending on the renovations we do at the end of like beach season Mm -hmm. in our area, Um, but the cash flow is positive uh, for sure. Okay, and then you use it. few weeks a year or something as we can really we just go down to kind of tighten things up Uh, we take the kids down the the um the association has a pool and things so the kids love it and the other rental the other rental is cash flow positive around uh seven hundred dollars a month um we haven't had a bad tenant um experience so far throughout our rental um our rent our renting experiences what's the value um the value of that one would say around a hundred thousand. And what do you own? Um, on currently, it? about sixty thousand. Where, you, where, you, where can you have a rental house for a hundred thousand in the United States these days? In 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 the city of uh, that one's in the city of Wilmington, Delaware. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and seven hundred dollars yep. a month positive cash flow. Wow. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, did you ever live in that house, or was it always an investment? It was always an investment. Okay. So now what's your question for us that we have gotten most of Chase's uh, financial? And what, how much money do you have in, the, in? What are your major insecurities in life? <laughs> how much money do you have in IRAs and brokerage accounts and cash? Oh, t- t- two different questions. So, how much do you have in IRAs? 401ks so no, and IRAs. I, no, uh, so 401ks, about 170K. Okay. Um, brokerage. Uh, and 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 then I'll include like stock options and in, in employee stock purchases mm-hmm. as well. There, about a total of fifty k. Okay, and cash. Um, a cash is about one hundred and thirty k right now. Okay, and what's your question for us? So, I don't know if it's the psychology of it, um, but I'm I'm trying to figure out whether I should one um, sell the home that we're in now. No. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, because uh, I guess in, in so here, so here, so if well, you, I, so he, you, you, at the end of the day, you want, you're trying to figure out how do I get out of this townhouse with two kids? I got a third one on the way and go into a, a, a bigger place and you've got a mortgage of 2.65% yeah. and mortgage rates are seven and a half now. And you're thinking, how do I, swing? and how much would the new house cost you? 600 to 650 K. Okay. So, you know, it's interesting because there's two things that balance off here. One is uh, converting a, a primary residence to a rental property. You lose that benefit of uh, you'd be better off selling it and buying the house well, right next door. Except if, for the interest rate. Except rates. for the interest rate. It's a different game now than it's it was a, different, a year or So two if ago. you had called us a year or two ago, we'd say, the last 15 eh, years. Yeah, been, you know, like, is a, it, it is the strangest housing market. So, so y- you, y- you know, do the math. Uh, I think you can afford a six hundred thousand dollar home um, quite easily. Uh, you're going to avoid the PMI. You're going to pay an interest rate of seven, seven, eight percent, but it's okay. You can afford it, um, and you're going to get the house you want. And overall, you're going to build. Your and we're not work. at all worried about your ability to save and invest. Oh my gosh, no! <laughs> I mean, I'm just looking at what the stuff you've already got. And just, look, you've got a good a good wage, but. We see plenty of people with this kind of income that there's nothing saved. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's good. To, that's good to know. So, and the reason you've got these things is because you've been frugal, right? And that's why, that's why you're struggling right now because it's going to cost you a lot of money to get a bigger house. Yeah. You're looking at, yeah. you're like, it's like, going to be like, crap. It's gonna, my payment's going to be what? $5,000 a month, $6,000 mm-hmm. a month. Not- with, around, probably between probably around four four grand. All right, four, with four, the taxes and insurance, the whole bit in there. Yeah, you, you can easily. Easily. So here's okay. the thing. Here's the thing. From a financial standpoint, stay in your townhouse. If your goal is to die with as much money as possible, or to retire as absolutely young as you can, then stay in your place. If, on the other hand, you're looking at this as more of a life's a whole journey, and you. <laughs> And you don't want to necessarily die with multi-millions of dollars to be passed to the kids. You want to, you want to have financial stability throughout your life. 
but also enjoy things along the way, then absolutely make the move and buy the house. What would the what would the property rent for that you're living in now? Twenty four hundred to twenty seven hundred. And what are so your payments? Be- what are your payments on it? Thirteen eighty five. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. You're you're my younger brother. Actually, you're my kid. <laughs> I'd say absolutely. This makes tons of sense to me. Yep. Yep. Keep it, keep in buy. Don't wait. Yeah, yes. In this environment with that interest well, rate. Who knows? I mean I mean if you wait, can wait, find wait, wait, wait. is that in, is that interest rate assumable? The FHA? Yeah. I never looked into that. Some of the it's FHAs it. are assumable. I would look into that. Because you can get a, a, a tremendous premium for the place. That's right. Because what At happens, least look into it. I would look into it. But if, it's such a low rate. You've got other rentals. Um, your, your, your income, your jobs are stable? That's a question. Um, we're both in finance, so. Not uh, in mortgage, I've taken it. No, not, <laughs> Don't not tell mortgage. tell me not you're a real estate not agent. Mortgage. Your spouse is a mortgage not broker. Mortgage. <laughs> um, um, we, 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 we have the transferable skills. But okay. Yeah, perfect. Finance, yeah. Perfect. Yeah, the only other thing I would look at is if that if that if if your mortgage is assumable, um, and I'm trying to remember if the FHA are I cannot remember, um, your house would sell for a premium over market value, and then if you were really freaked out about it, but you, you can always sell it later too if it's assumable. That's right. I don't think I would sell it. I wouldn't sell it. I'm thinking out loud here, Scott. Yeah. Nope, you're fine. And I look, the reality is it's a home is going to be more expensive today than it was a year and a half ago when rates were low. That's reality. So if you're, again, it comes back, you can afford it. If your goal is to have as much money as possible, stay in this, or actually downsize, uh, rent out the townhouse, find a one-bedroom apartment, and go, uh, you can, uh, the smallest house you can, or that $100,000 house. Yeah, move into, yeah, right? to Delaware. And never go out to eat. Okay, we got the point, Scott. Buy your clothes at Costco. Scott, what, what, I buy my, my clothes my, at Costco. My, you don't have to tell my, me. My, my, wife, my wife is going to enjoy, enjoy hearing you say Well, this. it's, a, it's I, an it. So, not listening. you know, it, you probably have a, a, a great situation because you, by your nature, you are, you're very frugal financially. You're probably a little worried about the future, which is that's why you've got a tight belt. And that's what's. You're like, oh my gosh, it's going to cost us much money. I don't know if I should do it. Your wife's probably more of, hey, let's spend a little. And you're probably going to balance each other out a little. Is that a fair uh, assessment? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's almost like we've seen this before. You're going to be in great shape. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. You are absolutely fine. In fact, you're more than fine. This is for a 36-year-old? Holy smokes. You're crushing it. And as my kids would say, you're making the fat stacks. Fat stacks. (laughs) <laughs> Fast All right, they Jace. used to say they don't say it anymore they i don't said it when they were in high school did they fancy chase thanks for calling thanks appreciate it it's it, you know, Pat, it is it is the strangest time in the real estate market because there are so many people now he's got options because he's got other assets he's got quite a bit of equity in his rental houses and he's got a good income but there's a lot of Americans, and and this 30-year fixed rate is is fairly unique to, uh, oh, to the U.S. To the U.S. A lot of countries, Canada doesn't have it. Much of Europe doesn't have it. They're all adjustable rate. Yeah, they're the Most three or four or five year, and then they they adjust. Um, so that's I mean you're you're looking at the the, the real estate volume is down quite a bit and but prices are sta- stable and on the high end they continue to rise so so scott i came across this article uh in the new york times that kind of leads into this um perfectly almost like it was planned but it wasn't so it talks about home ownership in the country of switzerland you think what do we care about switzerland it's about the most expensive place in the world to live. It is. It's very, very expensive. So the home ownership in Switzerland is 36% versus European Union in the United States, it runs between 65 and 70%. You're like, well, why are people renting? Well, because they can't afford homes. But those that do, that can afford homes, when you look at their wealth years out, yeah. Because of home ownership. It by the age of 70, it's estimated that those people that owned a home 
their wealth is 11 times. Those that didn't. It didn't. But then I'm thinking, well, part of it is self-fulfilling because- They probably had, well, how much higher was their income? That, that Not only that, and it's actually because of the fact that they've owned a home, they've actually participated in the run-up in the market. But the point being is that over the long term, if you're young, over the long term, you are better off buying a home than you are renting. Now, in saying that, this has probably been the worst time to buy instead of rent. In this, from a cash flow standpoint. From a cash flow standpoint. Yeah, I saw that article too. Where was that? Right. Journalist. So there's two conflicting articles. Well, one was on basically just an analysis of Switzerland. But what, what intrigued me about it was the numbers of how wealth are built over time. Buying versus renting. Well, a couple years ago, go back four years ago, pre-lockdown times, and you could buy a house. Let's assume you put 20% down. You can buy a house, get a long-term interest rate, and your payment would be less than if you rented that house. How many of those calls did we take on this program? Today, across the U.S., it's 52% more expensive to buy a home than it is to rent because of the high interest rates. Today. Today, today doesn't mean that's. It doesn't mean that doesn't mean you. It doesn't that, mean you shouldn't be buying today. That's right. I mean, you shouldn't buy a house today if you're going to sell it in six months or a year. But if you plan on staying there five, five plus ten years. plus fifteen years, um, home ownership always adds a hedge for inflation. And if you can get to retirement with no mortgage, gives you lots All more. All the better. A lot more options. All the better. Hey, uh, before we we sign off, I want to let everyone know we Pat and I recorded. The Art of Retirement, a couple weeks ago at, um, uh, where were we were? Anyway, the two of us recorded it, it and it's, uh, we are, we are uh, promoting this, launching this uh, virtual event, the Art of Retirement virtual event, and it's where we'll share some of the most successful retirees that we've worked with over the last 30 years, some of the things that they've done to have rich and meaningful lives uh, beyond their careers. And so as part of this virtual event, you'll learn how to achieve prosperity uh, beyond wealth. So we go some different things, some good life balancing techniques, uh, and a ton of do-it-yourself apps for uh, body and mind wellness and for budgeting and for a variety of things. And I, uh, I've, over my 35-year career, I have given a number of workshops on different topics, and this is my all-time favorite. Yeah, it's fun. It's, yeah, it's, I think yeah, you'll enjoy it. Because it talks a little bit about finance, people, purpose, right? Finance. Prosperity and, and health. And health. We'll cover those four topics. Uh, and we're gonna. These will be aired on Tuesday, November fourteenth at noon Pacific. Thursday, November sixteenth at noon Pacific, and Saturday, November twenty. I'm sorry. Saturday, November eighteenth at nine a.m. Pacific. And for uh, more information and to sign up, allworthfinancial.com forward slash workshops. Again, allworthfinancial.com forward slash workshops. This has been all the time we we can do today. We'll see you next week. This program has been brought to you by Allworth Financial, a registered investment advisory firm. Any ideas presented during this program are not intended to provide specific financial advice. You should consult your own financial advisor, tax consultant, or estate planning attorney to conduct your own due diligence.